This is Africa Digest. Good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest. You are listening to Channel Africa from an African perspective. We are broadcasting live from Johannesburg. We are on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet on free-to-air satellite PAS-10 and on the internet at www.channelafrica.co.za. Coming up on the show this hour, a DRC social movement has given the country's newly appointed Prime Minister five days to put in place his government. Rwanda confirms 12 cases of UK and South African COVID-19 variants. And South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says Tanzania is the glue that held the Sadak region together. All these stories are coming up on the show, but first the news with Amanda Machaka. You are listening to Africa Digest. My name is Kumbaru Munjerere. Good afternoon. A Democratic Republic of Congo's social movement has given the country's newly appointed Prime Minister five days to put in place his government. Jean-Michel Samalukonde's government was expected to be announced before March the 15th, but nothing has happened up to now. The DRC New Wind Novak plans demonstrations if nothing is done by this Friday. Januar Bamwenze reports from Kinshasa. The Democratic Republic of Congo's new wind movement, well known as NOVEC, believes the release of the so-called sacred union for the notion's government is being delayed just to try and satisfy this country's politicians' interests. But people here in the Democratic Republic of Congo continue to face a horrible situation, including poor social conditions and insecurity, especially in the eastern DRC, where inhabitants have been victims of ongoing massacres since long. Most of Congolese people are then impatient, as they hope the upcoming government will try and address the issue. Novak has then demanded the new government to come out and given to Prime Minister Jean-Michel Samalukonde five days to release the government. Jeff Kirongosi is the Novak movement president. We are going to mobilize the Congolese population to go on the street for opposing this government that prioritizes politicians' interests instead of DRC people. They have have looted this country and so in five days if the government is not out the whole population will go on the streets to say no. It's indeed on last February 15th that President Felix Tshisekedi appointed Jean-Michel Samalukonde as the new prime minister replacing Sylvester Ilunga Ilunkamba. Speaking to media immediately after his appointment, Jean-Michel Samalukonde promised his government would come out before March 15th as it was expected to be presented to both MPs and senators as they resumed the ordinary plenary session. And as Congolese can't still wait and the Prime Minister Samalukonde finds now himself under growing pressure, he's then had this to say. We understand the emergency of the government release, but we mustn't confuse emergency and hasts. We need serenity and work without hasts to reach a consensual government. We hope that in the coming days we will present not only the government but also a program enriched by all the notions living forces we have received. Meanwhile, the opposition has said there is nothing to expect from the upcoming government since President Felix Tshisekedi will be playing the prime minister role as well. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. 
Now, the governing council of the Africa Fertilizer Financing Mechanism, AFFM, has issued a call for greater action to secure adequate financing for the continent's fertilizer sector at its ninth meeting held recently. During the meeting, which was held virtually and attended by 13 institutional members, the council adopted the report on the year 2020 activities and endorsed a work program for 2021. The council also Recommended AFFM's achievements, which include the formation of a partnership with fertilizer group OCP Africa aimed at improving access to quality input for 430,000 smallholder rice and maize farmers. To get some reaction on this, we are joined on the line by Dr. Fidel Ndiame, Deputy President of the Alliance for Green Revolution for Africa, otherwise known as AGRA. Good evening and welcome to Africa digest uh, Mr. Ndiame. Good evening sir. It's good to have you with us. Um, now you have formed part of uh, the discussions that took place at the recent meeting. How important is the call that has been made by the governing council of the Africa Fertilizer Financing Mechanism for greater action to secure adequate financing for the continent's fertilizer sector? Thank you so much sir, for the question. Um, I think uh, that uh, the call is extremely important. And just to give you some reference, um, to remind you that uh, this facility was actually is an outcome of a resolution that, that was taken by the head of state of the African continent in 2206, around what we call the Abuja Declaration, which basically recognized that African agriculture is underfinanced, and specifically the level of utilization of fertilizer and improved input is extremely low. Therefore, the resolution was to set up a mechanism that would target achieving at least 50 kilograms of nutrient for African farmers. Sure. As we speak now, to just give an example, we are at 20, 20 kilos after so many years, so we are still far from that objective. Now, one of the reasons for that is fertilizer is essential, combined with other input like improved seed and good agronomic practices in order to enhance the productivities of African agriculture, especially smallholder farmers. The problem is fertilizer is quite expensive because very often it has to be imported from producing countries that are generally outside of the continent, even though recently we have more countries on the continent producing fertilizer. So the main aim of the facility is basically to to facilitate access to finance for businesses, especially the small and medium enterprise that are involved in the production, distribution of fertilizer. And what the facility does is to provide credit guarantee facility to institution whose mandate is to promote access and availability of fertilizers to smallholder farmers. So the call is extremely important. I mean, over the, since the mechanism has been operationalized in 2016, significant progress has been made in a way in supporting projects in specific countries. I can name a project in Tanzania, in Nigeria, in Ghana, and in Cote d'Ivoire, which is part of a partnership between the facility, EFAP, which is a specialized institution that is promoting fertilizer, OCP, which is also a Moroccan-based uh, company that is specialized in fertilizer. Sure. So to summarize, for us to get to the target, we really need to deal with the issue of financing, of the small and medium enterprises. Unfortunately, the risk exposure is so high that most of the commercial bank would not lend them easily money to do their job. Yet, unless our farmers have access to quality fertilizer and input, the productivities of our agriculture will remain extremely low. 
So now, you are talking about a, a significant uh, progress uh, that uh, has been made, but I suppose uh, the challenge now is to make sure that uh, the interventions translate into concrete results at the farmer's level, isn't it? Is uh, this going to be easy? Now, that's, you're absolutely right. That's the challenge. As, as you can imagine, fertilizers fit in a chain. I mean, from the production, distribution, to putting it at the disposal of the farmer. So the real challenge initially is a financial constraint for the SME to be able to produce it, procure it, and deliver it. But for it to be effective, it has to be put at the doorstep of smallholder farmers. This requires an infrastructure of agro-dealers. They are called herb agro-dealers or retail agro-dealers. These are specialized small shops that are able to, 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 to direct this fertilizer and make sure that they are accessible to smallholder farmers at an affordable cost. For this infrastructure has to be supported and, and strengthened. This is why we are looking for financing mechanisms. As you can imagine, they need money to be able to import, to store, and, and, and able to sell to smallholder farmers. The way to do it, and, and the, F, the facility is already partnering with institutions like AGRA, like FAP, as I mentioned earlier, to build an ecosystem of agro-dealers. These are small shops that then will make sure that uh, site-specific and crop-specific fertilizer are available to farmers in addition to high-quality seed and extension services. The point here is, beside the fertilizer, you also need good seed, you need extension, advisory services, and farmers need also be, to be supported to have access to market. In a, in a nutshell, it's a whole chain in which fertilizer is combined with other resources sure. to make sure that to unlock value for our smallholder farmers. Now, the fertilizer group OCP Africa was also mentioned during the discussions. The AFFM wants to partner with OCP Africa in order to improve access to quality inputs for about 430,000 smallholder rice and maize farmers. What do you think about this partnership? Is this the partnership that is needed um, to transform the lives of Africa? Farmers? It's exactly the type of partnership that brings together because it's really a partnership of like minded institutions who are either producing fertilizer, financing it, or distributing it. When they come together, they can basically leverage their respective capacity to make sure that the right fertilizer, which is crop specific and site specific, You cannot take a fertilizer that is designed for a soil in South Africa and take it to Mali. So this is why you need to have a very strong collaboration between the FFM, institutions like uh, FAP, but also OCP, but also the, the government of the respective countries to make sure that you have the kind of partnership that enable proper delivery of fertilizer and input to farmers using market mechanisms because at the end of the day this is a business that has to be driven by small and medium enterprises sure. who needs to operate in a friendly policy environment so the way to go is a public private partnership which is able to remove the risk of servicing the majority of our smallholder farmers through their SMEs. And just briefly, Dr. Ndiame, because we have run out of time, how would you respond to those who say that the work of the Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa is actually counterproductive? I'm sure you are aware of this criticism. The feeling is the feeling in some quarters is that your organization has failed uh, to achieve the goals it had set itself in light of a rising number of uh, people in Agra's partner countries who are believed to be starving? So thank you for asking the question. And, and where I come from, the question is even more important than the answer. The short answer is check the facts. 
you have to look at the history and the evolution of Agra that was created by the late Kofi Annan to make sure that we are able to bring appropriate technologies to African smallholder farmers. Over the last 14 years, Agra has made significant progress in partnership with African government and farmers to, to train African scientists, support agribusinesses, generate technology, promote policies that now are helping many, many countries to improve their food security. Now, as you can imagine, all the gains that have been made by countries, we are talking about a rain-fed, smallholder-based agriculture, can be subject to reversal due to COVID and all the time of pandemics. So we can't afford to drop the ball. We have to continue making progress, supporting African government, African farmers, to make sure that they get the same opportunities that farmers all around the world have benefited in terms of access to market, finance, and technology. So what we're talking about, my brother, is not different, is making sure that Africans can find their own pathway of increasing production, productivity, creating wealth, and feeding the nation. This is what we are doing in collaboration with at least 14 African countries. The ambition is to reach the whole continent. So anybody who is undertaking something like this cannot be failing African farmers. So All I can right, promise uh, you that go to the field and you will see for yourself because the facts don't lie. I thank uh, you very much for the opportunity. All right, uh, Dr. Ndiame, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for talking to us. Uh, we highly appreciate your time. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And I invite you to check our website, www.agra.org, and you will see the many, many testimony from African farmers men, women, and youth. Thank you so much for the opportunity. All right, that's Dr. Faidel Ndiame, Deputy President of the Alliance for Green Revolution for Africa, otherwise known as AGRA, talking to us. Thank you. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netler to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussion have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. You are listening to Africa Digest here on Channel Africa from an African perspective. I am Kumbaro Munjerere. Good evening. Now, Rwanda has confirmed 12 cases of UK and South African COVID-19 variants. However, the health ministry says all cases have been recovered. Meanwhile, the government has warned of possible COVID-19 spike in numbers should people not remain vigilant as before. Fear is looming that people are gradually becoming complacent due to the ongoing COVID-19 vaccination process, thinking that vaccination protects people from contaminating the virus. From Kigali, it is now three weeks since Rwanda's Minister of Health started the vaccination process to all citizens, and according to officials here, everything is going on as it was planned. But in the middle of this, new information has been emerging that actually Rwanda is one of those countries in which new COVID-19 variants have been detected. Dr. Daniel Ngamije admitted, adding 12 cases already identified have been recovered. We found two uh, samples with the UK variant and uh, 10 with South Africa variant. And all of these uh, samples were from people who arrived at Kigali International Airport. They were tested positive, a different period of course, at their arrival and they were, you know, 
identified as positive cases in the morning, after less than 24 hours after the testing. Mm. And as usual, they were isolated until they were tested again, then declared without virus. So it means these people were from abroad. And so far, we are doing the same exercise in our treatment centers, and we didn't discover any variant of concern. With the ongoing vaccination process, fear is looming that majority vaccinated people against COVID-19 might be complacent against measures, a dangerous move, if it ever happens. It is a joy to be vaccinated. I'll now be moving freely and come to the market, but continue protecting myself. I used to be very skeptical coming to the market because of the large numbers of people here. But now that we have been vaccinated, we will continue wearing our face masks and we are glad to be vaccinated because it is going to help us move freely. Because we work in the market, we meet a lot of different people. The vaccine is very beneficial to me and the vaccine is going to protect me given the nature of my work because I am confident in the safety of my life. Dr. Saben Sanzimana, the Director General of the Rwanda Biomedical Center, says the availability of vaccines in Rwanda shouldn't be the cause of complacency among people. People might think that just because we now have the vaccine, then COVID-19 is over. That is not the case. Actually, if we are not careful, the vaccine might be the very reason people become complacent and we see an increase in infections. The vaccine came as an answer to two challenges. One, to reduce the number of fatalities to the virus and to reduce the number of critically ill patients due to COVID-19. The vaccines we have here in Rwanda absolutely addresses these two issues 100% because a person that has received the vaccine can get infected with COVID-19, but they won't become critical or even die. However, the vaccine doesn't keep one from getting infected. You definitely can get infected and infect others that are not vaccinated. Health Minister Dr. Daniel Ngamir says lessening the protection measures on an individual basis could cost much, as well as exposing a new variant to the public. It's a subject of concern because you never know what kind of mutation will be there uh, and, with, and, and, and with capability of re resisting to the treatment. You have seen that uh, there is decrease of death recently due to treatment that we are giving to people affected with COVID. We are now coming with, with, with vaccines. So, uh, so far we are convinced that uh, and we, are, we believe that these vaccines are, are safe and strong enough to, to, to contain this existing uh, virus in country. So we don't want to have this virus of concern. According to the figures provided by the Ministry of Health, about 300,000 people have been vaccinated so far since the start of the campaign on the 5th of this month. The health ministry also says more COVID vaccines will arrive in the country in the near future. The goal is to vaccinate 60% of the total population by June next year, 2022. Silvanus Kalimera, reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says Tanzania is the glue that held the Sadek region together in its quest for freedom. He was speaking at the official state funeral of President John Magufuli at Jamuri Stadium in Dodoma. Ramaphosa joined other African statesmen who have come to pay their last respects to the 61-year-old who died last week from heart complications. I recall the warmth that we were showered with by President Makufuli and Mama Janet Makufuli as we sat down to strengthen the bonds of friendship between our two countries, South Africa and Tanzania. I also recall the discussions that President Magufuli and I had when he came to South Africa for my own inauguration and we discussed his vision for the development of Tanzania and for the region and for our continent. I felt honored because President Magufuli was not a great traveler. He didn't like traveling very much. He preferred to stay here at home. 
And I often thought that he possibly was afraid of flying in a plane, but he told me that no, he preferred to be here to continuously serve the people of Tanzania rather than be traveling all over the show. Various countries in SADC, from Botswana, they are here today, from Zambia, from Mozambique, from Angola, from Lesotho, from Eswatini, and today we are here in Tanzania, and Tanzania was the glue that held us all together so that all of us can get our freedom. So we say thank you very much for all the help you gave us. That was South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa. He was speaking at the official state funeral of Tanzanian President, President John Magufuli at Jamuri Stadium in Dodoma. There have been mixed reactions in Cameroon after 88-year-old President Paul Bia ordered his CPDM party-dominated upper and lower houses of parliament to re-elect to to re-elect to top positions, people who are over eight years old. According to the Central African State's Constitution, the 87-year-old president of the Upper House of Parliament takes over and organizes elections should President Bia dies. Moki Kinzeka reports from Yaounde, the Central African State's third most powerful political figure, the Speaker of the National Assembly, is 81 years old. Members of the National Assembly, the lower house of Cameroon's parliament, applauded as Kavai Yege Jibril was re-elected speaker. The 81-year-old Kavai says he appreciates President Paul Bias making his re-election possible. My profound gratitude Jibril says he is highly indebted to Bia for asking his ruling Cameroon People's Democratic Movement or CPDM lawmakers to retain him in his position. He says he will always respect Bia. Jibril has been National Assembly Speaker for 30 years. The lone candidate he garnered 147 votes in the 180-seat body. Many Cameroonians expected he would be replaced by a younger lawmaker. However, Bia summoned the 152 CPDM lawmakers together for an emergency meeting. CPDM Secretary General Jean Quete said Bia asked them to re-elect Jibril. Emmanuel Banmi, a CPDM lawmaker from the English-speaking Northwest region, says they obeyed instructions from the party hierarchy. He says Jibril has enough experience as National Assembly Speaker. Kavayege Jibril is doing his work. I want to commend his devotedness. We need to move ahead. We know we have difficulties. We have concerns of security. Let the government work hand in hand with the representative of the people to see that the security issues is collectively addressed with the collaboration of the population. Banmi said he was optimistic Jibril will work in collaboration with the government to find solutions to youth unemployment and the several armed conflicts Cameroon is facing. He said priority will be given to assisting people affected by COVID-19 and stopping the spread of the pandemic. Jibril is Cameroon's third most powerful state political figure after Bia and Marcel Niat Njifenji, President of the Senate, the Upper House of Parliament. The 87-year-old Njifenji, who has been Senate President since the body was created in 2013, was re-elected Wednesday with 85 votes in the 100-member chamber. The CPDM controls 63 of the 70 elected Senate seats. The other 30 members appointed by Bia are loyal to him. Niat said he was also grateful to Bia for his re-election. 26-year-old Ngenang Cosmas, 
member of Cameroon's National Youth Council, an independent state body that discusses issues related to the well-being of youths, says octogenarians are keeping young people from leadership positions in Cameroon. The situation is not good at all. How can we elect people at the head of the legislature who could barely walk? There is a video, the president of the Senate, Masenya Gifengi, he would barely walk to the auditorium or to the hall. Same goes for the president of the National Assembly. The same thing. Today he's sick. He has been evacuated to France. Where are we heading to? It beats my imagination why and why the same people have been ruling the same. It is not good. It, I think they should also leave the younger generation to show what they are capable of doing. Does it mean that only the old can rule? It is not good at all. After opening the session, you would hear that they have evacuated them to Europe for treatment. It is something worth looking into. Under Cameroon's constitution, if Beard dies, resigns or is incapacitated, Njifenji would take power, although elections must be organized to elect a new president in 20 to 120 days. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Intra-party conflicts have rocked Zambia's political parties as the country heads for the, for the 2021 general elections this August. Arthur Davis Sikopo, our Zambian correspondent, shares more about the conflicts that have not spurred the governing party. As the country heads for the 12th August 2021 general elections, political parties are getting ready. But even as political parties see where they place themselves, Confusion is already ensuing. Most critical political parties in Zambia are having power struggle from the lowest to the highest organs of presidency. The tug of war is on who leaves the party, who takes over, or indeed who maintains their seat. Magdara Chipenzi is a governance activist of GEAR's initiative or governance, elections, and advocacy research services. I think political parties uh, seem not to have a very solid conflict management mechanism. And this is why you find that uh, instead of resolving issues, they have continued to in disintegrate. And new parties are being born from the existing parties and later on uh, form alliances which alliances don't last for a long time. Zambia's first political party to form government after independence over 56 years ago, the United National Independence Party, or UNIP, is in a battle for presidency as the current president, Tilenji Kaunda, is being fought by an active Anglican church priest. Tilenji Kaunda, the UNIP president today, is son of UNIP first and founding president and president of the Republic of Zambia then, Kenneth David Kaunda, who left office after being defeated in 1991 following 27 years of being in power. The second party to have taken over from UNIP in government, the Movement for Multi-Party Democracy or MMD, is also in leadership wrangles following disagreements, various court cases and injunctions and court rulings. The party tried to hold its elective convention over the weekend but it was stopped by a court order from another faction in the party that claimed that elective convention was not duly called and was illegal according to the party constitution. They know that that group that lost in court is out there making noise on a daily basis. So we remain suspicious that these courts would give an injunction. We are very doubtful. So far, the main opposition political party, United Party for National Development, or UPND has held its intra-party elections without internal disagreements on leadership positions. The governing party, the Patriotic Front, is yet to hold its final and national elective convention, but it too is likely to face similar leadership struggles, as already seen that the current party president, Edgar Longo, is being challenged by a prominent Lusaka lawyer, Kelvin Walafube, or popularly known as KBF. KBF has been on record several times accusing incumbent president of the Patriotic Front, Edgar Lungu, of not being eligible to contest as president of the party and eventually of the nation, claiming that his terms of being president are up. And all I'm asking for mm. is that the president steps aside 
He's my older brother. We shall look after him. There's no animosity. Yeah. It's yeah. nothing personal. He has worked for all the works he has done in the party, for all the works he has done in government. But right now, it's time for a new voice, a new face, a new vision, new direction. And that's all PF members are asking for. Party members and structures have since risen against Kelvin Walafubi or KBF, accusing him of wanting to hijack the party from its original founders. The country is however hopeful to see the governing party's elective conference and to see who may emerge victorious. Meanwhile, the National Democratic Congress, NDC, a splinter party of the governing party, the Patriotic Front, formed by a once minister, Chishimba Kambwili, has already cracked apart. Now, having two presidents, two vice presidents, and two different camps. Chishimba Kambwili, after facing a number of court cases, some of which are still currently active. Among them, defamation of the president has apologized to Republican President Edgar Lungu, who he said to have defamed, and indications are that he wants to go back to the governing party where he came from, and he wants to take the entire party of the NDC. Having said this, I want to unreservedly apologize to the president of the Republic of Zambia, Mr. Edgar Chagwalungu, for the misunderstanding that he is a drug dealer. It is only right that we flip the new page as a sign of brotherly love. Magdana Chipenzi of Gears Initiative weighs in again. Let them uh, develop a serious and strong uh, infrastructure in conflict management and resolution. Reporting for Channel Africa in Lusaka, Zambia, I am Arthur Davis, Skopo. Now to Uganda, where President Yoweri Museveni remains undecided on whether or not he should be inoculated against the deadly COVID-19 infection. To tell us more, here is James Shimanyula. According to Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni, he and his wife, Janet, remain undecided on whether or not to be inoculated against the COVID-19 pandemic. The 76-year-old Museveni says once he chooses the vaccine that will be effective to him, he will be inoculated. Museveni says his wife Janet will also be inoculated with the very same vaccine that is to be used to vaccinate him, confirming that indeed he has not been vaccinated against COVID-19, Museveni said. I have not yet been vaccinated, nor has Janet, the one of the Chinese, the one of the Russians. Museveni made it clear that he is quite careful and well protected by the Ugandan system. However, the Ugandan leader did not expound on what he meant by saying he is well protected by the Ugandan system. As Museveni remains undecided on whether or not to be vaccinated, media communication experts in the Ugandan capital Kampala have made varying comments. One of them, Aden Welikamba, made the following laconic comment to the extent that Museveni should have been the first to be vaccinated to send a clear message to the people of Uganda that the vaccine is safe and now they can be vaccinated. He should have been the first person to take the vaccine, to bring the confidence among us Ugandans to take the vaccine. Adding a rider to remarks made by Welikamba is just as Kiplanga chairman of Uganda's Nurses and Midwives Union. The technical people in the Ministry of Health enlightened the population about information concerning this vaccine. Up to now, Uganda has received AstraZeneca made by India's Serum Institute as well as Johnson & Johnson developed by Janssen Vaccines in Leiden in the Netherlands and its Belgian parent company Janssen Pharmaceuticals. Also in Uganda are vaccines developed by China and Russia. Since March last year, Uganda has recorded more than 40,000 cases of COVID-19 infection with 334 deaths. Perhaps it is fitting to note that in many African countries, myths and misconceptions have surrounded vaccines that are already being administered to ordinary citizens and their leaders. According to the myths and misconceptions, COVID-19 vaccines are unsafe because they were developed in a very short time. But medical experts say the vaccines are proven safe and effective. Although they were developed in record time, they have gone through the same rigorous 
rigorous Food and Drug Administration process as other vaccines meeting all safety standards. Regarding the myth that the vaccines have severe side effects such as allergic reactions, the experts admit that some participants in the vaccine clinical trials reported side effects similar to those experienced with other vaccines including muscle pain, chills and headache. The experts say although the side effects are extremely rare, people can have severe allergic reactions to ingredients used in a vaccine. Now, the experts recommend that people with a history of severe allergic reactions such as anaphylaxis to the ingredients of the vaccine should not get the vaccination. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. You are listening to Africa Digest here on Channel Africa from an African perspective. It is now time for economic news with Nosi Hezuma. Former Public Enterprise Minister Lynn Brown has denied allegations at the State Capture Commission in Johannesburg that she threatened to fire former ESCOM board chair Zola Tzotzi in a meeting before the State of the Nation address. Previously, Tzotzi told the commission Brown said she would find someone else to replace him at ESCOM, an allegation she has now denied. Tzotzi says Tony Gupta also threatened to have him removed in a meeting in 2015. Brown claims she warned Tzotzi against interfering in management issues and did not tell him she would fire him. On the same day, a few hours later, Mr. Tony Gupta has a meeting with him. And there he tells the chairperson, Mr. Tsuzi, the chairman, we are the ones who put you in this position and we are the ones who can take you out. It was striking to him because it was a few hours after my encounter with the minister. He has it in inverted commas, in quotation marks, because he says that's what I said to him, which was very different to what he says the Guptas told him. Business lobby group Business for South Africa, or B4SA, has called on a government to shift the emphasis on its vaccine program to target the elderly and vulnerable sooner to prevent hospitals being overrun during the expected third wave of COVID-19 infections. South Africa is in the midst of its vaccination campaign targeting healthcare workers. Stavros Nikolo, an executive of Aspen Pharmacare, and who also serves as chairperson of the public health work group and B4SA says they have written to government on the matter. So far, only around 160,000 health workers have been vaccinated, just 13% of the target to vaccinate 1.25 million people by the end of first quarter. South Africa's Northern Cape Province Agriculture MEC Mase Manopola has called on farm workers to report any exploitation by their employers. This comes as the country marks Human Rights Day. Manopola says the call follows a series of reports which have been recorded by her department detailing alleged maltreatment of farm workers by their employers, especially in the Northern Cape Province. Manopola says people should report such allegations to authorities. I therefore call anyone who has experienced an abuse or have seen or had farm workers being exploited to report the matter to the nearest police station, the Department of Employment and Labor, and Department of Agriculture, Environmental Affairs, Land Reform and Rural Development, as well as commercial association and trade unions. Air Tanzania has suspended what was supposed to be its maiden flight to Guangzhou, citing COVID-19 control measures put in place by Guangzhou local authority. The carrier had announced late last month that it would embark on long-haul flights to China using one of its latest equipment, the Dreamliner. It was not clear whether there were new containment measures in Guangzhou, but the company said new dates for the long-awaited maiden flights would be announced later. 
And finally, Turkey's currency has tumbled as much as 14% after President Recep Tayyip sacked the country's central bank governor over the weekend. Nasi Akbal had been accredited as a key force in pulling the lira back from historical lows. Akbal, who was appointed in November, had been raising interest rates to fight the inflation rate running above 15%. The BBC's David Bamford reports. The president's decision over the weekend to dismiss the head of the central bank, Naji Abal, has alarmed many investors. Since his appointment in November, the Turkish lira had recovered from historic lows, based on Mr Abal's reputation of running a tighter ship than his predecessor, supporting higher interest rates to bring inflation under control. He's been replaced by Sahab Kapciolu, an economics professor and former MP loyal to the president's governing Justice and Development Party. The effect has been immediate in the markets, with the value of the lira slumping right back to where it was four months ago. And for your financial indicators, one US dollar is trading at 411.06 Nigerian Nara, 10.96 Botswana Bula, 109.79 Kenyan Shilling, and 22.07 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, the US dollar is trading at 5.49 Brazilian Rule, 74.24 Russian Ruble, 72.48 Indian Rupee, 6.51 Chinese Yuan, and at 14.80 South African Rand. The US dollar is also trading at 72 pence, with the British pound at 83 cents to the euro. Looking at uh, your commodity, Gold is trading at $1,739 and platinum at $1,205 per ounce, while brand crude oil is at $63.40 a barrel. For Channel Africa, I'm Nusikhe Zoma. Now let's find out what is happening in the sporting world. Neto Chamane is standing by with the latest sports news. With the latest Channel Africa sports news at this hour, I'm Neto N.E.T.O. Chamane. From the sports desk, a very good afternoon. Starting off with football news. The Kenya national football team, Harambe Stars, have now fully shifted the focus to the final Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers against Egypt and Togo, slated for this week. This comes after their last of three friendly matches was called off last week Thursday in honor of the late President John Pombe Magufuli, who died on the eve of the encounter in Nairobi between Harambe Stars and Taifa Stars of Tanzania. The head coach of Tanzania's Taifa Stars, Kim Paulson, clarified the situation as the team remains in Nairobi to prepare for their Afghan qualifier against Equatorial Guinea. Good uh, technical bench, there's a high number of people around uh, the, the players and of course internal we are dealing with this situation to support and help the players so they can zoom in and they can focus on the training and performing. At the same time I also know these players, it's not first time in their life that something happened outside the football, it's a part of, of life. It's also a part of a professional player that you have to give him time to adapt. But we are also living in an environment to, where you to adapt, and you have to adapt sometimes quickly. Harambe Stars had won the two friendlies they had played earlier, 1-0 against South Sudan and 2-1 against Tanzania. Kenya's next match is an Afghan Group G qualifier against Egypt on the 25th, before traveling to Lome to face Togo in the final game. Kenya is currently third, behind Egypt and Comoros. During the international fixture in Nairobi between Kenya and Egypt, spectators will be barred from the stadium. The Cabinet Secretary for Sports, Amina Mohamed, has reiterated that the situation remains dire as the country has entered into the third wave that is considered devastating and the government cannot afford to bury its head in the sand. I think it's the responsibility of every Kenyan to just make sure that we behave responsibly, uh, that we follow all the um, measures that have been put in place and the protocols that have been agreed to uh, by the Ministry of Health, by ourselves, by the stakeholders, because we went through a very long process 
of, of consultations, of meetings to, to establish the protocols. And so I think that we should just all take responsibility for each other, uh, not just for, 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 for yourself, but for others as well, uh, to, to make sure that we're not putting anybody in any uh, danger. Uh? Uh, you know, we can lose everything else, but when you lose your life, it never comes back. You know, there's just a finality to that. And I think that we can all behave responsibly and try and save as many lives as, as, as possible. Yeah? There are other ways of enjoying the, the game and without necessarily all of us being at the stadium. As Kenya prepares for the Olympics, the Minister of Sports in discussion with various stakeholders, including the President of International Olympics Committee, IOC, Thomas Bach, and the Ministry of Health to ensure that Team Kenya in Tokyo will have no hiccups in terms of testing and arrival logistics. Sports Minister Amina Mohamed. The President himself, Bach, told me that this would happen, uh, but also the other governments that have actually come forward and said that they would be very, very happy to support us, uh, support our sportsmen and women, uh, especially those that are going for the, uh, for the Olympics. So, so there are, are offers on the table. Um, I've had discussions also with my, with my colleague from the Ministry of Health, and as soon as those discussions are concluded, then we'll see where to get those vaccines from, whether we're going to have the ones that uh, the president of the IOC uh, had promised, or whether some of the other governments that are willing and ready to provide that kind of support, uh, maybe of closer proximity, and that can be done can be done faster. But those are conversations we are having. We want to make sure that our team is ready long before before the Olympics. We don't want any reason uh, being given to deny us access into into Tokyo. On to cycling news. Namibia born Mark Pritzen crossed the line first in the combined elite and under-23 men's road race at the South African National Road Championships in Solentam yesterday. Still under-23, Pritzen, who rides for the Quebec Association's continental team, finished in a time of 4 hours, 51 minutes and 43 seconds for the 178 kilometers route. Willie Smith took a second three seconds behind with Nicolas Lamini in third, a further four seconds adrift. In addition to winning the Elite Road Race title, Pritzen completed the under-23 double, having triumphed in Friday's individual time trial. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto NETO Chemani. This is Africa Digest. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this evening. From myself, Kumbara Munjalere, producer Lebo Musweu, and the rest of the team, thank you for listening.